Hi everyone, welcome to the Tech Entrepreneur on a Mission podcast. My name is Ton Dobbe and I'm the founder of Value Inspiration and the author of The Remarkable Effect. I envision a world where every B2B SaaS startup succeeds because they're creating software that customers would miss if they were gone. And here's why. Research consistently shows that 90% of all startups fail, and that's bad. What's worse, however, is that 75% of SaaS scale-ups fail, companies that are supposed to have product market fit. Far too few scale-ups create the traction they aspire for and fail for the wrong reasons. And I believe this should stop, and hence I created my business. And the goal that I have with this podcast is twofold. First, to inspire new forms of value creation by sharing compelling ideas and stories about the potential that we can unlock when technology and people blend in the right way. Secondly, share experiences from tech entrepreneurs like you about what it requires to create a remarkable software business and how to overcome the roadblocks to do so. The guest on my podcast today is Jonathan Kazarian, CEO of Excel Events. I built it nights and weekends for just five years before actually going full-time with it. And as 2020 approached, we were much more focused on B2B events, for-profit events, starting to get into the world of conferences and starting to realize that technology was gonna play a bigger role going forward. So we were starting to build towards this hybrid future, but it wasn't until March of 2020 when events evaporated overnight that we knew we had to go all in on virtual. And we took our revenue from 375K in 2019 to over 3.4 million in 2020. This is Jonathan. He's a true tech entrepreneur on a mission. His journey started in 2014 when his cousin at the age of 17 got diagnosed with cancer and he wanted to do something for her. Then in preparation for an 850 person charity event with the Dana-Faber Cancer Institute in Boston, he recognized the many limitations of existing event technology and fundraising platforms. And this sparked the idea to create a solution so fundraisers would never have to go through such an experience again. And as such, he founded Excel Events early 2015. And he's been on a journey since to build a virtual and hybrid event platform. Its mission, help event organizers get some sleep the night before the event. And that inspired me. And hence I invited Jonathan to my podcast. We explore what's broken in the world of event automation and what can be if it's fixed. Jonathan shares what his business went through as their revenue 10x during the pandemic. He elaborates why he would bootstrap his business again if he would start it again, and why he believes he should have taken bigger risks up front on both product and positioning. Lastly, he talks about the critical choices he made during the pandemic and why without it, he wouldn't have this conversation in the first place. By listening to this podcast, you will learn four things. Firstly, how you can create meaningful differentiation by deeply understanding the critical moments in your customer's business. Secondly, why your customers often aren't buying the right features, but the right feeling. Thirdly, what traction you can spark if you figure out how to leverage the customers of your customers. And fourthly, why he decided to stick to his core principles, even though that meant growing at a slower pace. Well, hi, Jonathan. Thank you for making time available today and being the guest on the podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Yeah, it's a topic that, of course, it's been booming since COVID started, but you started way before that and held the whole event space and everything that's uh, that's going on in this space. It intrigues me simply because there's so much change going on and therefore I had to have you on the podcast here. Before we start and talk about your company, Excel Events, 
How would you describe yourself as a CEO in two or three characteristic words? Passionate, aggressive, and I don't know, let's stick with those two for now. All right. Fair enough. <laughs> Good. Well, we'll see how that uh, pans out in the coming half hour. You started the company Excel Events in 2015, and it was about events. And I don't think that anything like online events or hybrid events was a, was a thing at that point in that time yet. But what was the problem that you saw that was screaming for a solution? Yeah. So the problem that I saw was, a, well, frankly, quite a bit different than where we are today. The reason I started the company was sort of out of necessity. In 2014, my cousin at the age of 17 got diagnosed with cancer and I wanted to do something for her and ultimately realized the thing I could do that would raise the most money would be to host an event. I had been sort of hosting events more for fun than anything else and I thought I'd be able to draw a decent crowd. So I was living in Boston, Massachusetts at the time. I went down to the aquarium and I put my credit card down. I rented out the whole space. I had to sell 185 tickets to break even, basically to be able to pay my credit card bill. And then just got after it with marketing the event. We ended up getting 840 people to that first event. Nice. But going into it, we realized that in part because of the age of the demographic, but also the layout of the venue, we needed to run the auction and the raffle digitally in order to maximize how much money we could raise. So looking around for solutions, we just couldn't find anything that was either affordable or frankly good and ultimately decided to build our own. So that was sort of part one of going down this path of event technology. And then on top of that, the registration platform that we were using, which is now a publicly traded company, failed us. It collapsed on the day of the event and probably cost us $10,000 that we could have raised for the organization we put the event on for. So I was just devastated from that because obviously I was so passionate about the cause I was putting this event on for. And at that point, just realized that there needed to be a better way. Technology needed to be there to make life easier for event organizers. I went down the path of building a company to do just that. And I built it nights and weekends for just five years before actually going full-time with it. And as 2020 approached, we were much more focused on B2B events, for-profit events, starting to get into the world of conferences and starting to realize that technology was going to play a bigger role going forward. So we were starting to build towards this hybrid future, but it wasn't until March of 2020 when events evaporated overnight that we knew we had to go all in on virtual. And we took our revenue from 375K in 2019 to over 3.4 million in 2020. So it was a busy year for us. And that was all bootstrap. Yeah. Nice. Nice. I mean, I actually released a long blog this morning about like uh, getting stuck into a vicious cycle of desperate funding, but that's something that you didn't have to do there. From what I hear, that you really, really paid attention about the big problem in the market and solving it in a way that made a lot of sense and, and remarkable. That was also something that triggered me, like preparing for this and actually getting the invitation or like having the pre-work for this, provide unforgettable events experiences no matter where you are. I wrote my book, The Remarkable Effect, unforgettable, memorable, all of those type of words instantly always trigger me. <laughs> so I love to see that. So you said you worked on it for five years and then you started uh, launching it to market. And then in, you, kind of in the first year, you had that incredible growth already. Well, um, we had actually brought it to market within the first year. It wasn't okay. until the fifth year that I went full-time with the business. I was working full-time you know, nine to five, actually in the financial service industry. So a completely different space. Although I was hosting some events for that company, but it was a very different world that I was living in at that point in time. I can imagine. 
So what do you believe is the opportunity if we get this right? If the world starts to adopt your approach to hosting unforgettable events, what will change? There's a couple of pieces to that. I mean, one is the way that organizations are thinking about their event programming today. It's a mesh of combining these in-person experiences with the virtual experiences. And from the perspective of Excel events, of us as a company, it's about being that connected experience platform that brings together the webinars, the virtual events, the in-person experiences, the hybrid events, the field marketing events, all under one centralized platform. Now, if you think about the way that the world is moving right now and the way that digital marketing is changing, we've seen this war between Apple and Facebook, you know, Google chiming in now too, with the reduction in third-party cookie tracking and the impact that that's made on digital advertising. Yeah. And what that means for us, us as marketers, is that first-party data and zero-party data are more powerful and more necessary than they've been in the past because we need that information in order to target our audience and to create personalized human-to-human connection. And if you think about the different mechanisms for capturing that first-party data, yeah, you've got things like white paper downloads and eBooks, but at the end of the day, events are the most powerful mechanism for capturing that information. People are willing to give up their time, their money, their registration data, even their cookie tracking, all in exchange for access to your content and your community. And that is so incredibly powerful. Yeah. That's the way to kind of get the real essence beyond their address, their birth date, their telephone number. And you get to know them really because of how they respond to the things that are happening for an event like that. I completely get that. And that is a massive transformation in the whole digital marketing landscape. And I know that's possibly better than anyone else because I've been involved in a couple of those type of projects. So we talked about the way it started. Yeah, building up the product, being, first of all, working somewhere else. How do you start a journey like that? How do you create a platform that creates differentiable value from the start? We didn't get it right the first time. Uh huh. We built something kind of on the back of WordPress. Look, I wasn't a software engineer by training or by trade. I had to kind of figure things out. And at the very beginning, I went on Upwork and I found an engineer, actually several in India, and uh, sort of cycled through folks until we found somebody that we thought was going to be able to do what we needed. And we basically modified WordPress to put together this MVP, this prototype, to see if the idea had legs, to see if people would pay for it. And they did. And then things started to build and scale. And we got to this point where we're like, all right, this isn't going to be usable. We need to scrap the whole thing and start from scratch while still maintaining the old legacy code base and the existing customers that were using that. So ended up bringing in a friend who was essentially an expert on that type of stuff. And he helped us to reshape and re-architect our rebuild. We ended up building a new engineering team also in India with some folks who are just incredibly brilliant. And that's how we were able to reshape everything and get to where we are today. So along the way, I've become writing code. I can get in there and break things, but that's really where I draw the line. Yeah, exactly. At some point, you need to, you need to say stop till here and no further. Yeah. What has been the hardest not to crack on that journey? Was that, okay, kill this and start over? Or was it something else? The hardest nut to crack in the entire journey is the balance between building product versus building go-to-market. You know, Where do I place... The time and inherently building is exciting and interesting to me, but that's not always the best thing for me to be spending my time on. And there's different points in the company's journey, the company's life cycle, where I need to balance those two and figure out where to place my time. And that's constantly a challenge. 
fortunately, we've brought in some great people along the way that have taken over some of those responsibilities. Sometimes that's not fun to give up, but it's necessary. Yeah, exactly. You cannot do it all by yourself. And your role is at the end to make everyone in your team deliver on their best possible impact and let go and give them the authority to do so. So the hardest not to crack is that product build and go to market. Like, how do you make decisions on that? What do you tell yourself or what questions do you ask in order to say left or right? Yeah. Sometimes I just have to think about the bigger picture, right? If there's something that I'm really passionate about bringing to market from a product perspective, sometimes that means we need to focus on building and growing the company to justify that investment. And it's often coming back to that and really just realizing what's the most important thing that I should be spending my time on today and over the next month. And often that means the thing that's the most fun thing for me to be doing isn't the thing I need to be doing at that particular point in time. Yeah, exactly. That's the tough part sometimes. But yeah, that's how growth is being created. So you brought a product to market. That was the initial version of the WordPress platform. Started to get feedback, MVP work. People were happy to pay for that. So, I mean, apparently things work. Then you kind of you release your new platform. What has been the lessons that you learned in selling it to your first 100 customers? So we, from the very beginning, were obsessed with customer experience. And I think this is in part because I went through this experience where event technology failed me and I couldn't get a hold of anybody when I needed them most. When you spend three months or sometimes three years building an experience that culminates in a couple of hours, you don't have even 10 minutes to wait for a response. And we built a company around that mantra, around recognizing that event professionals have this sense of urgency that's few and far between. Maybe ER doctors in the military obviously outpace it, but it's a very unique industry because there's this concrete deadline, this concrete date that you need to build towards. And we just wanted to build a company that was focused on ensuring our customers were going to be able to deliver what they need to do. And frankly, that if we're able to help somebody get even an extra 15 minutes of sleep the night before their event, then we're doing our job because events are so incredibly stressful, but they don't have to be. And technology, again, it needs to be there to make life easier for event organizers, not do the opposite. Exactly. Let me make a small interruption here. Jonathan just made an excellent remark about the essence of what sets them apart. It's not so much about how easily their customers can organize an event, it's about giving their customers the feeling of security that their event can be executed without any hiccup, no matter what. It's a trait remarkable software companies master. They focus on the essence, create new value possibilities, and then position what's valuable and desirable. And you can master these traits as well. And the first step? Simply read my book. I made the electronic version available for free. Just visit theremarkableeffect.com to grab your copy and inspiration will spark in the next 10 minutes. Back to the interview. What I like about it is that you bring in the technology and the importance of technology, but also the human side, because a number of those things are, you don't solve with tech, you solve them with just paying attention, sparring with those people. And what that's done is it's helped us develop a relationship with customers where they want to share feedback with us. In the early days of building the company, there was times I'd be driving on the road on a Friday night and I have to pull over to respond to a customer because we were adamant about maintaining this 30-second response time for our customers because that's what you need when you're running an event. And because they knew that there was a real person on the other end of the line, be it chat or a phone call or whatever other mechanism of communication, it made them so willing to share feedback. And then we iterated and evolved the product because of that. And we learned how to position ourselves from a messaging perspective as well, because we felt the same pain that they were feeling. And we helped them solve this problem that they needed solved. 
if there's one thing I could advocate for every company to do, it's just to be there for their customers and it will pay dividends. I mean, yes, it's a trade-off investing in the customer experience team instead of investing in marketing. It might not feel as good today. But the question at the end is that, what do you see that why you are so strong about that? Is that, for example, the word of mouth that comes from it? Yeah. We're in a particularly unique spot in that, yes, it's the word of the mouth from the other event organizers, but every attendee on our platform is also a potential customer of ours. So for us, it's not just getting that experience right for the event organizer. It's also getting that experience right because that attendee needs to see how great of an experience can be created on our platform, whether that's an in-person event or a virtual event. So that inherently drives the word of mouth and the reviews. Exactly. I've had a couple of people on my podcast the last couple of weeks that are really about this strong thing. And sometimes the smallest user of your platform can make the biggest impact. I had uh, met the CEO of Bonjuro, Matt Barnett, on my podcast recently. And he said, at some point, we saw a peak in adoption because there was this guy that was one user of a platform, paid $15 a month, named Pat Flynn. And he was talking about it on stage. There you go. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I mean, you see that, right? You see that with like Webflow and all of these other companies where they built an ecosystem and they have Notion, right? They have creators that are creating assets, even selling assets yeah. that benefit other users of the platform. Exactly. Don't underestimate that power. And I completely agree with you. It's better than to invest that in customer success and customer experience than to add that marketeer that is at the end competing with an impact that they cannot live up to. You've got questions, we've got answers. Business leadership, ownership, and sales can be challenging. Tune into the Accelerate Your Business Growth podcast to learn from the world's experts. Join me, your host, Diane Helbig, as I chat with people who have expertise in various areas of business. You'll enjoy the lively conversations that are focused on providing you with the ideas, tips, and suggestions you need to realize greater success. Get what you need for your business when you need it from the people who have the answers. Accelerate Your Business Growth is part of the Evergreen Podcast Network and is available on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Yeah, I mean, I wrote my book, The Remarkable Effect, which is about the traits that define software companies that people start talking about and keep talking about. And given your background here, and what you stand for with Excel events, what do you believe is a trait or is a particular trait that you just keep honing in on in your company so that people not only start talking about you, but actually keep talking about the company? So for us, it's been customer experience from day one. Okay. That's the thing that people talk about the most when they're talking about us, customer experience first, product second. I yeah. think that's even more important when you're in an industry that's somewhat saturated and ours is. I mean, we certainly have our areas of focus, but it is a fairly saturated industry. Beyond that, I would say what we're seeing from a lot of our customers is companies that are focused on A, being a media company and B, being a community platform. And I don't mean their technology facilitates community. I mean, there's a community around what it is they do. There's people who genuinely care, people who want to come together and learn from each other. Events are an incredibly powerful mechanism for creating that community and for helping to generate content. So we're seeing a lot of adoption from companies that are shifting their focus away from traditional digital media spend towards event-driven community and content. Makes a lot of sense because that's the group that is already engaging and that's where traction can start way easier than throwing money at Google. 
Yeah. And if you have advocates and you take those advocates and you stick them in front of your other customers, your prospects, and they're preaching on your behalf, look, they're going to sell better than you ever are. <laughs> exactly. Because <laughs> that's where trust kicks in. Yeah. You made a point about saturation in the market. And I know quite a bit, a number of those platforms. I'm not going to mention any of them. What have you done around positioning and segmentation to find that niche to create that growth? Yeah, to be fully transparent, marketing has not been the biggest area of investment for us. We've been really focused on word of mouth as the number one channel and driving that through our customer experience. But in terms of understanding where we fall, you know, it's in part where is our product focused and why are customers adopting our product? And for us, that tends to be organizations that they're truly investing in events as a channel. They're looking to create that connected customer experience across all of those different mechanisms for interacting with people and developing that community. And it's about being a single platform that makes it easier to do all of that. Yeah. So and you amplify that belief and make it reality. Yeah. And we it's help wrong. them to facilitate that experience wherever it is. If we can make it easier for them to host events, they're going to do it more frequently. That community is going to be more engaged and it's a win-win. Exactly. So let me see. If you look at the previous periods, what would you do different next time? Yeah. Like, what is the thing that you say, okay, well, I would have known that. That would have saved me so much time. Well, we could certainly look at the financial markets over the past two years and say that it would have made more sense to focus on raising earlier, raising capital earlier. You know, hindsight's twenty twenty. there. Beyond that, we were moving very, very quickly, and it meant that our processes were changing very rapidly. We did invest early on in internal training. But solidifying some of our processes and our, some of our data systems earlier on, I think would have saved us a lot of time, frankly, down the road with having to do data hygiene and clean up systems that then would have given us insights faster and allowed us to move even faster. And that's always, of course, yet yeah, looking at hindsight. things. Are it's high, right. It's tricky because who knows, you know, if we spent the effort on that, what was the thing that we weren't going to do that helped us get to where we are today? Exactly. Yeah. Actually, yesterday I wrote a post about, like, do you choose between preventing a bad problem from happening or kind of moving a good problem to have forward. Right. Uh, sometimes you start to kind of invest in things that are not even a problem yet, <laughs> just to be ahead of things where you can prevent other things. And there's a um, scale for every business in terms of their capacity to do that. Exactly. But about your point of raising earlier, what would be that point where you say, okay, that's where we should have raised in hindsight? Yeah. I mean, you can look at a chart of the S&P 500 and kind of make that call. We were just growing so quickly that we need to be heads down on our customers. And the investments we were making was expanding that customer experience team, not getting the finance people in or the ops people in that helped us pull together the data or you know, the other information that we needed to go run a fundraising process. That just wasn't our focus. We didn't want to grow at a rate that meant risking the customer experience that we were putting forward. And we weren't willing to compromise on that. And I stand by that today. I mean, I like that you say that because that's exactly what it needs to be all about. Yeah, build that machine. And when the fire is burning big time, that's where funding really can help amplify that while staying on that quality side. I like that what you're saying. Another thing that came to mind, looking at the clock here and your agenda, from the tidbits of wisdom that you've gained in the meantime over yeah, kind of building the company and growing it to where it is today, what would be a do and what would be a don't that you could share with other aspiring CEOs or CEOs, tech CEOs that want to make the next leap? Well, it depends on which stage you're at today. I'm happy that I made the decision to bootstrap the business as long as I did and that I maintained a full-time job and was building this nights and weekends because it allowed me to test and try things without the risk of having to feed myself at the same time. 
that said, I would have taken bigger risks up front, bigger risks on the product, bigger risks on the positioning. I think we could have moved faster had we taken those chances sooner. And we've learned to do that today, but it took a while to get there. Yeah. Question is always like, what stops you then from, because I hear it so often, you should have taken that. Again, it's looking back in hindsight, but something always stops us because maybe we think we're not good enough or it's not ready yet where it is ready enough. Yeah. I think it was that. It was feeling like it wasn't ready. Is that perfectionism, imposter syndrome? I think it's because I was there before when I felt the pain of an event organizer when technology failed. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. I just built the company hoping and wishing that nobody else would have to experience that. So well, that's also like kudos for you because it's about like you stand for something and that needs to be the experience. Great. One thing about like your experience, I'm currently writing my second book, which is about the lessons that we can learn from entrepreneurs like you about not only surviving a crisis, like for example, COVID and the very early start of your business, but actually coming out stronger. Is there anything coming from that period there where you say that is one I take forward for the next crisis? I think we moved pretty quickly. We acted the way we needed to. Um, was happy about that. We got the team together. People wore multiple hats because they had to. And look, I hope there's not another next crisis. But I think moving quickly and recognizing that you have to make a change or you're going to have a problem instead of just hoping and praying that something is going to magically get better. You give an example of how you exit fast? Yeah. Look, you make your own luck, right? And that's what we did. We decided to pivot fully into virtual events and get ahead of that early. And that was the right choice. And it was fortunate for us. It was fortunate for the business. Maybe there was some luck that we were well positioned to be able to make that change, but no more or less so than other companies that decided to sit it out. And that pushed us ahead of many companies. And I think if we sat passive and just hoped and prayed that things would naturally get better, then we wouldn't be having this conversation right now. Well said. Well, thank you very much, Jonathan, for sharing the story about your company, Excel, uh, Excel Events. I like the way your mind, the whole mindset around the business and the quality you stand for and the experience that is top well, in front of everything that you do. I love that. Yeah. Good luck on the next part of the journey and I'll keep following you. Excellent. Well, thanks for having me on today. It was a pleasure. And this ends my conversation with Jonathan. I hope you enjoyed it. And if so, please leave a review on iTunes. And if it inspires you, please share it with other tech entrepreneurs on a mission that you have in your network. Other than that, thank you for tuning in to this podcast. I had the honor to speak to Jonathan Kazarian, CEO of Excel Events. As said, the goal that I have in this podcast is twofold. Firstly, to inspire new forms of value creation by sharing compelling ideas and stories about the potential we can unlock when technology and people blend in the right way. And secondly, share experiences from tech entrepreneurs like you about what is required to create a remarkable software business and how to overcome the roadblocks to do so. Before I close, I have two more comments to make. If you know other tech entrepreneurs on a mission that have a story worth sharing, please send me an email at ton.dobby at valueinspiration.com. Building the momentum all starts with revealing the ideas. And that starts with you. And if you want to know more about my book, or you're interested in joining the Remarkable Effect tribe, please visit my website at www.valueinspiration.com. Thanks for tuning in. And you could do me a big favor by rating the podcast on iTunes or provide me with your feedback directly. I'll see you shortly on a new episode.
The world's best-known investor and Wall Street expert Warren Buffett once said, Wall Street is the only place that people ride to in a Rolls Royce to get advice from those who take the subway. Mr. Buffett's quote is remarkably accurate, but how many people would rather receive advice from him than someone simply guessing? Welcome to Buy, Hold, Sell, your single source for Wall Street knowledge and profitable guidance. Please join me, Todd Schoenberger, and fellow trader Tobin Smith, as well as host Veronica Dudo, for a podcast known to move the needle for investors. Tobin and I are seasoned Wall Street executives with deep investment experience, and we are prepared to share our advice to those who choose to listen. Download Buy, Hold, Sell today on the Evergreen Podcast Network or your favorite podcast channel.